It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. fans to episode 16 of the Curly W Live podcast. If you want to go back and listen to any episodes, including our most recent chat with Tim Bogar and Bob Henley, head over to our blog, Curly W Live, which is curlyw.mlblogs.com. You can also search for the podcast through iTunes by searching Curly W Live. So we are coming to you from the Curly W Live studios in Washington, D.C., and this episode marks a return to the All-Star Game series of podcasts that we have been rolling out this year. We've done uh, the 1969 All-Star Game, the 1962 All-Star Game, and on this episode we'll go further back into baseball history by talking about the 1956 game, which was held at Griffith Stadium. We'll once again be joined by noted D.C. baseball historian and author Fred Fromer. Um, like we've mentioned in the past, Fred Fromer is uh, the author of several books, including You Gotta Have Heart, which is a history of Washington baseball, of which uh, noted historian himself, George Will, said Frederick Fromer tells this fascinating story splendidly. No fans library should be without this book. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, like I've said before, it's it's in my uh, baseball library, and I think every D.C. baseball fan um, should have it a part of theirs. So, uh, Fred is also the head of the sports business practice at the Dewey Square Group, which is a communications firm in Washington, D.C., uh, where he provides st- strategic communication and other services to his sports clients. Uh, prior to joining Dewey Square, Fromer worked at CNN, WashingtonPost.com, the Associated Press, uh, while at the AP, he created a groundbreaking beat on the intersection of sports and politics. Uh, he also covered the Roger Clemens trial and has written for the New York Times, Political Magazine, uh, The Atlantic, and Washingtonian Magazine. Uh, you can find Fred on Twitter at, at FFromer, which is at F-F-R-O-M-M-E-R. Uh, so the 1956 All-Star Game returned to Griffith Stadium for the second time to host the 23rd All-Star Game. Uh, the National League defeated the American League 7-3 for their second consecutive victory and their sixth in seven years. The game was highlighted by home runs from four of the greatest players to ever play the game, Willie Mays and Stan Musial for the NL and Ted Williams and Mickey Mantle for the AL. After the National League built a 5-0 lead, Williams and Mantle hit back-to-back homers in the bottom of the sixth inning to make it 5-3, but that was as close as the AL would get. Musial responded with a solo home run in the top of the seventh, and his Cardinals teammate Ken Boyer made one outstanding defensive play after another to go along with his three hits to help the National League maintain the lead. So uh, Major League Baseball was kind enough to uh, provide uh, the audio of this game in its entirety. So throughout the podcast, uh, you will hear some of the highlights of the game, including all those home runs we talked about. So uh, without further ado, here's episode 16 of the Curly W Live podcast, a look at the 1956 All-Star Game. Enjoy. And welcome back to the podcast, Fred. It's uh, great to have you on board for a look at the 1956 All-Star Game. Uh, our previous podcasts have been hits, so thank you for joining the, the program again and being a part of this project. 
Great to be here. Thank you. So before we get started, um, I wanted to let listeners know that Fred will be taking part in a panel discussion on July 11th uh, at the Smithsonian. Uh, and from what I understand, the panel will be uh, discussing kind of the same thing we're talking about, these all-star games. So, um, you know, how did you get involved in um, this event and, and what can fans look forward to? Well, uh, Phil Hochberg, the longtime Senator's public address announcer, invited me. Um, he's done a lot of events at the Smithsonian. Um, he's helped me a lot with my books. Mm -hmm. And uh, he invited me to be there along with uh, Gregory McCarthy of the Nats and uh, Phil Wood, the Nats uh, analyst. So it should be a great event. Okay. Yeah, those guys have, have great, and like yourself, they have a great understanding of, of D.C. baseball history. And uh, I'm sure that that's an event that um, fans aren't going to want to miss if they're in the area. Again, July 11th. Um, it'll take place the week before the All-Star fest festivities. So, like I said, check it out, fans. Um, so unlike 1969 and 1962, uh, this All-Star game was held at uh, Griffith Stadium. And for those that may not be as familiar with Griffith Stadium as they may be with uh, Nationals Park or, or RFK Stadium, um, can you tell us a little bit about the venue to start with? Uh, it was a very small ballpark, only about 32,000 people. Um, it was one of these classically uh, shoehorned stadium into an urban environment. A lot of character. Um, you had outfield uh, advertisements for Coke and Quaker State and Wheaties. There was even a kind of a center field corner that went around a tree <laughs> outside the ballpark, which was a popular meeting place mm -hmm. and where some uh, heroic hitters were able to hit it on a long fly ball to the center. Um, and uh, right now, actually, it's the site of Howard University Hospital. Yeah. There's, a, there's a plaque uh, commemorating the old ballpark. And it sounds a lot like um, the, the light pole at, at Houston, Towles Hill. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. It yeah, sounds a little bit very similar. Yep. Right. I think they got rid of that hill for obvious reasons. but um, <laughs> I love that hill. Yeah, <laughs> it made things interesting. Um, so getting to the um, the game itself, or pr leading up to the game, uh, the player selection process, we always talk about this. So how did the, the, the players get selected for this All-Star game? Well, this was a fan vote, mm -hmm. and uh, it was really a monopoly by the Cincinnati Redlegs. <laughs> and for fans who are wondering who the Cincinnati Redlegs are, mm -hmm. um, it's the Reds, except for a few years in the 1950s, because of the Red Scare in this country, mm -hmm. uh, the Reds' ownership didn't want to be associated with communists, so Understandable. they changed their, changed their name to the Redlegs. Mm -hmm. And there were five starting Redlegs on the wow. team that year. In the National League. Wow. Uh, and then uh, I believe it was Mickey Mantle got most votes of any any uh, any of the players, and, and he started in center field, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like, uh, what we usually do on the podcast, too, we, we talk about the events um, surrounding um, the city and what went on. Uh, we've talked a lot about what happened in 1969, 1962. So um, what was All-Star Week like around D.C. this year, during this year? Well, it's interesting because as uh, we look forward to this year's All-Star game, it should be one of many highlights in Washington. We're hoping to see, uh, we'll definitely see a playoff berth uh, and <laughs> hopefully a World Series. Right. There was no illusion in 1956 that right. was going to happen. Right. The, uh, the centers were coming off a last place finish. Mm -hmm. uh, they would wind up in seventh place in 1956, uh, and they weren't really going anywhere. Right. So this was the highlight. People mm -hmm. were really excited about it. Um, and um, you know they only drew 430,000 fans that oh year, wow. a tiny amount, but they did sell out the All-Star game. And even uh, the morning of the game, uh, the team put up uh, tickets, SRO tickets, a couple mm -hmm. of half, about two and a half hours before, and uh, people waited in line for for hours just to get those tickets. Oh, about five hundred people. Five hundred people jumping right. on those. Well, that's great. It was actually half an hour before, but they waited for two and a half oh hours. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, now I believe 
th- this game was dedicated, right, to to the owner, Clark Griffith, of the Senators? Right, so Clark Griffith had been the longtime owner of the Senators, even started his career with the team as a manager, mm-hmm. uh, had been associated with the team for really close to half a century. Mm-hmm. So when he died, it was really the end of an era. Mm-hmm. And uh, they dedicated the game to him, um, his grandson, Calvin Griffith, uh, the mm-hmm. second throughout the first ball, who was uh, 15 years old, uh, which is a break from, you know, usually presidents throwing it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, was it, it was an exciting time, but it was a sad time for right. Washington. Understandable. So um, what, I've g- what I've gathered on these from talking to you about these games, the luncheon is pretty common. Every year there's, there's a luncheon the day before the All-Star Game. So tell me about a little bit about the luncheon for 1956 and, and who was honored in that one. Uh, Stan Musial of the Cardinals mm-hmm. uh, was honored as the player of the decade, um, already a veteran player, uh, well-beloved b- all-around mm-hmm. baseball. In fact, in the game, um, he made a tumbling catch was taken out just precautionary in the mm-hmm. eighth inning, and the Washington fans gave him a standing ovation. That's great. Now, actually, we have uh, Major League Baseball supplied us with some audio from this game, so here is the call of that diving catch. Here's Ted Williams. He homered into the bullpen in right center last time up. Cuts and misses at strike one. Wynn and Cooks warming up now in the bullpen for the American Leaguers. Williams at the plate. Strike one the count. Antonelli's pitch. There's a pop-up going out into short left. Musial is coming in, throwing for it. He makes a dive for the ball and has it for the out. He may be hurt. He's getting up very slowly. The third baseman was going out. The two almost collided. As Ken Boyer went out, Musial came in. It was one of those balls that the infielder might have gone for, the outfielder. Musial called Doe for it, made the catch, and came up with it. He's limping slightly as he gets up. But he's going back to a spot. Lowell Halston is going out to make sure that Stan, the man, is all right. And Freddie Hutchinson also came out. He wants to take a very careful look. And we're getting a replacement now. Hank Aaron is going out to play in place of Stan Musial. Dan Musial is coming in, accompanied by Wall Alston. Out of the ball game, gets a fine hand. Listen. Hank Aaron now takes over. That was a great catch by Stan, player of the decade. talked about before it seems like a common theme uh, with all-star games and that's the um, um, the inclusion of the president in the festivities uh, the president at the time was Dwight D. Eisenhower and um, through my research about the game uh, it seems that he was a regular at senators games back then but um, he didn't attend this all-star game is that right that's right he was recovering from surgery okay. um, but he did watch the game on television and actually announced through a surrogate he was gonna be running <laughs> for re-election um, and you could argue that was sort of bad PR right. because uh, <laughs> as the longtime Washington Post sports columnist Charlie Povich wrote, mm-hmm. uh, the first era of the 1956 All-Star festivities is committed by Mr. Eisenhower <laughs> on a day when the nation is baseball-minded. Ike's announcement that he will stand for re-election could wind up among the Sally League results. <laughs> and the Sally League is a, is a nickname for the very low minor right, league. Right, the, the South Atlantic League. That's yep. right. Um, I was looking through some some pictures that the uh, Hall of Fame provided of some some news clippings and some front pages and one that they sent me was from the Knickerbocker News in Albany, New York. And uh, the front page 
it was split in two where one headline was about um, Eisenhower running for re-election and the other one was about the 1956 game. Right. Literally divided in I half. think the Washington Post had a similar layout yeah. that okay. day. Yeah. Um, now, if my presidential history is correct, um, President Eisenhower was involved in a bit of a uh, baseball controversy, I put that in air quotes, uh, prior to attending West Point Military Academy. Well, what do you know about that? Uh, yeah, before he actually attended West Point, he played baseball for money, semi-pro baseball. Um, but he used a pseudonym, Wilson. Um, <laughs> he didn't want to avoid. He didn't want to uh, risk uh, jeopardizing his amateur status because mm-hmm. he wanted to play baseball and football um, at West Point. He actually got cut from the baseball team. Oh, really? But he did play briefly for the football team before injuring his knee. Mm, and the NCAA wasn't there to uh, stop him from uh, <laughs> <laughs> jeopardizing his amateur status. Huh? Yeah, I think they were there, but they weren't <laughs> quite as aggressive as they are now. <laughs> and uh, back to the game itself. So, I mean, talk about an all-star-studded uh, affair. Uh, Eighteen eventual Hall of Famers. Um, home runs were hit by four of possibly the greatest players to ever play the game, Willie Mays, Stan Musial for the NL, and Ted Williams and uh, Mickey Mantle for the American League. Right, and Mickey Mantle was uh, was injured in that game. His his knee, uh, we came into the game injured, mm-hmm. his knee was heavily braced, mm-hmm. um, and despite the one home run he hit, the right. rest of the game was, was kind of feast or famine for him. He struck out the other three okay. times. <laughs> not, not too uh, dissimilar from today's game. <laughs> right. In fact, uh, surprisingly, even though the National League won the game pretty easily, uh, they struck out 12 times, which was a lot of strikeouts mm-hmm. back then. Right. Uh, you know, it's kind of typical for today, but back right. then, teams didn't strike out that right. often. Uh, and then Nats, former Nats manager uh, Frank Robinson actually played left field for the, for the National League, uh, got two at-bats. Um, and the NL won despite striking out, like you said, a total of 12 times. Um, the American League only struck out five times, which is pretty amazing. And kind of going back to uh, to Mickey Mantle with him being injured, um, you know, that's not stuff you see now either. A guy, you know, like you said, he was injured coming into the game, and he, from all intents and purposes, he was, you know, like you said, wearing a brace. Um, that's just not something you'd see necessarily see nowadays guy coming in that injured playing the all-star game definitely i think you know back then uh both leagues took the all-star game a lot more seriously right. it was kind of like you wouldn't set out a world series game if you could possibly right. make it but nowadays uh no uh, american league or national league manager would risk another team's exactly. pl- asset by right. playing him with a series injury. actually a- absolutely um and uh, casey stengel kind of a kind of rough stretch for him as manager of these games right he lost for the fifth time in six tries oh. I guess it. I guess it says something that he he keeps getting there. That's true. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you you got to be good to get there. Yeah, absolutely. getting there has to battle. I guess. Uh, now we actually have some audio, like I said, provided by Major League Baseball of some of these, um, some of these home runs. So, here is Willie Mays' um, home run. We're going to have a pinch hitter for the National League. Willie Mays being sent up for Gus Bell. So Willie Mays comes on to bat for Gus Bell here in the fourth inning. Willie is currently hitting 288. He has 13 home runs. He swings from an open stance. His right foot right back in a restraining line. Left foot pointed down towards the shortstop. The outfield pulled to the left. Ford looks to Boyer at first. He goes to first with a throw and safe at first. Whitey has had great success this year, picking runners off at first. Moore edges away. Again, he goes to first and back safely. This is the top of the fourth. Here's the pitch to the plate. Swing by Willie Mays, and he misses. So that swing ought to start a little breeze blowing out there in center field. Willie was out to really wrap that one. 
Boyer at first leads away. One out to pitch to May. The curveball, he drives it deep in the left center field. That ball is going to go for a home run. Put the National League ahead three to one with a drive into the left center field bleachers. Well over the 360-foot fence. It must have gone up about 50 feet. Willie gave it a good ride. And Willie Mays hit in his career three All-Star Game home runs, and that was the first of the three uh, right here in Washington, D.C. And here is some audio of uh, Ted Williams up to bat. And what I want you to listen for in this clip is some pretty funny discussion uh, relative to the time about the shift used in Ted for Ted Williams. Uh, so here it is, Ted Williams up to bat and hitting a home run. A single. Ted Williams coming up, and you can hear that crowd in the background playing in his 12th All-Star game. Batting 368 as he went into it today with five homers and 30 RBIs. Big Ted's had four batting titles. And in 1941, he starred in the All-Star Classic, his home run winning it. Williams steps in. He's 0 for 2 today. He looks at a cold strike and a curve in the outside corner, knee high. Williams has struck out, and he's grounded out so far this afternoon against the National League. On the count now, 1-1 one and one to Ted. Mickey Mantle, there's nobody out. American League with a man on first base, trailing by a 5-0 score in the home six. Here's the pitch, and it drops low. A little spin on that one as it came in. Count now is two balls and a strike. They're playing Williams, ganged up on the right side of the infield. Three infielders over there. Here's the pitch, and there's a high fly ball and a deep right center field. Snyder is going back near the bullpen. He's up against the bullpen. It's in there for a home run. said I was I was listening to this audio um, recently and, and it caught me off guard to hear about the shift being used back then because um, you only think of it now but um, you know I think there's two articles one is by Neil Payne of 538.com and one by uh, Joe Posnanski um, who writes for MLB.com and also is on the website about um, the evolution of the shift and it was used 60 years ago which is pretty amazing um, we only, like I said we think of it now and, and we look we watch games every night we see shifts every night so um, they do a good job of kind of going into the history of the shift. Um, and uh, like I said, it, it was just kind of uh, weird for me to hear him talk about the shift and seeing Ted Williams. Um, I guess at that point they used, uh, they they put six guys to the right of second base sometimes against them, which was just amazing. Yeah, it's, it's uh, hard to picture. Mm -hmm. um, you know, nowadays it's pretty common. Right. It wasn't very common, you know, 20 years ago, right. but it was, as you right. say, used by against Ted Williams and some other players back then. From what I read in Joe's article, and, and fans, you should definitely check it out, by Joe Posnanski, he tells the story of how when Ted Williams stepped up to the plate, dug in, and looked at the field, saw six players to the right of second base, he um, he gritted his teeth, kind of laughed. He, he was kind of going back and forth between laughing and gritting his teeth. Uh, <laughs> so um, I believe he probably hit right through it. And then as you can see, or as you heard in the clip, uh, they tried to shift him in this game, and he hit right over it. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, wonder what kind of average he'd have absolutely. if he didn't have a going, he has that shift. Um, um, this was actually the last of his four career All-Star game home runs. So. 
Um, and then here's audio from Mickey Mantle's home run. It was uh, the second of his two career All-Star Game home runs. One and one. And the pitch comes in wide to Mickey Mantle. Count now is two balls, strike one. Mickey Mantle in his fifth All-Star Game. Switch hitter batting right-handed against Southpaw Warren Spawn. Two balls and a strike. Here comes the pitch. And it's a swing and a miss as Spawn changed speeds on him that time. Two and two. Ted Williams swatting on approximately 420 feet from the plate. Into the bullpen on the fly, scoring Ellie Fox in front of him. Here's the pitch, and there's a foul in the dirt behind home plate. Lawrence of Cincinnati, Brooks Lawrence and Johnny and Haley of New York are warming up now for the National Leaguers in the bullpen out there in left field, out in front of the seats enclosed by a fence. It's two and two. Here's the windup, and Spawn comes in with a curve, and there's a long drive to deep left center field. It is home run! Just going over the low fence in left center as Mickey Mantle comes around the bases with a home run, a liner. In about 370 feet over a six-foot-six fence, and in the first rows there, here he comes, Mickey Mantle, the score now. The National League, five, and the American League, three. Two successive homers by the American League. Listen to this crowd here as excitement mounts. Walt Alston is coming up out of the National League dugout and going out to the mound. Mickey Mantle limping just a bit as he came around the bases, but you don't have to run fast when you get him in the seats. They were in the new seats up there, just clearing that fence, and some fan has a very fine souvenir of this occasion. Alston. And uh, I don't know how you feel, but personally, I'm a uh, Warren Spahn fan, having grown up in Milwaukee and hearing a lot about him as a Milwaukee Brave, so <laughs> it kind of hurt to listen to the audio um, and comb the box scores to find that he gave up these back-to-back -back home runs, and I believe he was lifted from the game right after giving those up. Yeah, <laughs> tough outing for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a little bit about the uh, the Senators' involvement in the game. I believe they, they just had one uh, one player, Roy Seavers, in the game, correct? That's right. He didn't come into the game until the ninth inning mm -hmm. as a pinch hitter, and he popped up. It mm -hmm. really was kind of a representation of Washington's right, futility. Uh, in fact, um, uh, Mickey Vernon had started right. uh, the All-Star game. He'd been the Senators the year before, but mm -hmm. had been traded in the offseason, mm -hmm. so... They really didn't have much of an all-star presence. And we talked about on the 1962 podcast um, about Maury Wills, and he received the first ever um, MVP award of the all-star game. Um, so it wasn't necessarily offered in 1956, but from what I've, I've gathered through reading and looking at the box score and, and checking out the highlights, uh, it would have likely gone to Ken Boyer. Now, is that right? Definitely. The Cardinals' third baseman and the National League third baseman, that they had an outstanding performance. Mm -hmm. um, he got three hits, but more okay. importantly, made several defensive gems, including uh, diving to both sides uh, uh, to stop hits from one player. So he was uh, he definitely would have been a hands-down MVP. Mm -hmm. And as we do usually do at the end of these discussions, um, and you've kind of alluded to it a few times already, but uh, how did the 1956 season play out for our Washington Senators? It was a typical season yeah. in Washington in the <laughs> 1950s. Uh, they finished in, in seventh place, as I mentioned. Um, they did have a couple of really good outfielders, mm -hmm. uh, Roy Sebris, as mm -hmm. we talked about. Um, led the team with 29 home runs. Mm -hmm. uh, playing him, Jim Lemon was also a great player, had mm -hmm. 27. And then a couple of players who had over 300, but the pitching was really awful. Was they it? had a, a league-worst uh, 533 ERA, wow. so you're not going to win many games no, by giving up five 
plus runs game. <laughs> uh, Fred, once again, thank you for joining us on the podcast. It was great to talk to you about the 1956 game, and uh, we'll check back with you in a few weeks where we cap off the series looking at the 1937 All-Star game, the first of four to be held in Washington, D.C. So thanks again for joining the podcast. Thank you, Kyle. Very, very few folks are leaving this ballpark. Very few. They're waiting to see anything can happen, even within one out away. With sluggers like these who are here this afternoon. One and one to Keen. There's a slow grounder going out to McMillan. He comes in, makes the play at second base, and there's the ball game. The force being made there on George Kell to retire the side. In the home ninth here, there are no runs, two hits, no errors, and two men left on base. And here are the totals down the ballgame. For the National League, the final score, the National League All-Stars, seven runs, 11 hits, no errors, and seven left. The American League All-Stars, three runs, 11 hits, no errors, and seven left. In a moment, we will review the highlights of the game for you. Thanks again to Fred for joining us for a look at the 1956 All-Star game. Uh, like I mentioned on earlier podcasts, uh, Fred's knowledge and insight and his storytelling is uh, is very much appreciated. And I know I'm learning a lot about the All-Star game and uh, D.C. baseball history in general uh, through these conversations. So I hope you as fans are, um, are learning as much as I am. So it's great to have Fred as a part of this project. I would also like to thank Major League Baseball and the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum for providing the audio of the game and other research materials along the way. Like we always say, we want your feedback, so please tweet at me at Kyle Brostowitz or at Nationals um, and let us know what you think. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, search Curly W Live, and check out the blog, uh, Curly W Live, which is curlyw.mlblogs.com. So we are about to embark on another long homestand here at Nationals Park, uh, one that will feature visits from the New York Yankees, Los Angeles Dodgers, and San Diego Padres. So uh, visit nationals.com for tickets and promotions. Thanks for listening, Nationals fans. We will see you next time on the Curly W Live podcast.